Hello and welcome to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. This is the 10th episode. Uh, and in this part of the podcast, this part of this series, we're looking through the stories that Lovecraft wrote uh, prior to 1920. So his first stories, um, you know, up to including The Street. That'll be the last one we look at. Then we're going to jump into some of his other writings at the time, whatever I can get a hold of. There's actually quite a lot, but a lot of it's not very long. So I'll probably group them together. Don't know quite how I'm going to approach it yet. Uh, I still don't have the first volume of Lovecraft Selected Letters, so that's going to have to be more general. I have some notes about them. That's it. I don't have that actual in front of me, word for word. But when we get to uh, 1924, uh, we got this. that's when the second volume of the Selected Letters begins. And then we can start going kind of letter by letter through Lovecraft's writings and really get into his philosophy, his worldview, and his perspective. Um, his biography a little bit, his friendships, his relationships, and all that. So I'm really excited to start to get into that aspect of it. But we all love the stories. The stories are great. People come to Lovecraft for the stories, right? They, I mean, there might be some weirdos out there who, who come at him primarily as an epistolatory writer. But, you know, people read his letters because they're interested in the stories. It's, I don't think as many people go the other way about it. Um, but anyway, I think they're important. I think they're they're important for unlocking Lovecraft's perspectives. But we're going to see what's uh, in kind of each period of his life. We're going to see what is revealed in the stories first. And so that's why we're doing it this way. Okay, in this episode, uh, this is episode 10, we're going to be looking at The White Ship. This was written in 1919. It was published, he wrote it in October. It was published just one month later in the United Amateur. Uh, another amateur journal. Like so many of these early stories, it was published first in amateur journalism, or, not, or in some cases not published at all until, until much later. Now this is, I guess it's a dreamland story. I think it fits into that tradition of, of kind of someone through some kind of dream or some kind of experience enters into a secondary realm with different places and different... Um, uh, you know, different kind of creatures and things. Uh, we have sort of here like an allegorical journey into the sea. And it reminds me a lot of a, of a novel, which I actually talked about in this podcast years ago when it first started. And that's Marty by Herman Melville, which is a metaphoric exploration of the sea in which the characters would go to different islands. And each island would, would be kind of a different... Uh, stand-in for maybe a European power or some kind of value. And the goal was chasing after this this Pacific Island woman throughout to try to find... Uh, and then the story ends with the character venturing off for another adventure. So it's never quite clear where they're going to end up. Um, so it, this reminded me a bit of that because it has that same feel. In fact, we go to... They go to four places. A fifth place is, though, is, is, is mentioned as kind of an aspiration. But they, they basically go. So there's five locations here. Each has a different, uh, is, is reflective of a different value, right? So, you know, it's, it's kind of a dream one story. Because essentially the story is a guy sleeps and he has some visions and some experiences. And in this case, it involves a journey by sea to these different locations. Um, but then there's the implication at the end that it's real. And the same thing like in Polaris, uh, there's the suggestion that maybe this dreamer is experiencing something real. Actually, it actually happens to him. 
Uh, in, that, in that story, it's the relationship between the Eskimo and the Inuit, which is hinted at, or the Inutos, sorry, the Inuit are the Eskimos, right? The Eskimos and the Inutos in the story are sort of associated with each other, so maybe this was uh, on this world. Um, in the white ship, you have have the same kind of uh, suggestion that there's something real about these experiences at the end of the tale. Now, I wrote an article, I published an article about Lovecraft uh, some years ago, and it's kind of the foundation of my perspective on this. Um, and I originally wrote this article kind of hoping to explore the image of the sailor in Lovecraft's fiction, and I ended up doing a lot more, looking at eugenics and his racial theories and, and Atlantic history, really. So the essay ends up be, be, being called uh, The Burden of Atlantic History in Lovecraft's Fiction, or something like that. Uh, the main title is In Praise of the Innsmouth Look. So, but I, in the conclusion, I actually write about the white ship. So um, let's see what I said a few years ago about this. Uh, the power of the sea in Lovecraft's imagination is nowhere more obvious than in his early story, The White Ship, published in 1919 in the United Amateur. It is most well known as one of Lovecraft's dreamland stories, but in its opening paragraphs, we see many of the themes common to Lovecraft's maritime imagination. The separateness of maritime workers from civilization, the legacy of history of commerce, uh, the legacy of the history of commerce, the sea as an origin of mysteries and wonders, and the burden of a heredity shaped by participation in a global economy. He writes, this is early in the story, actually. Uh, this is quoting the second paragraph. Far from the shores came those white-sailed Argosies of old, from far eastern shores where warm sunshine and sweet odors linger about strange gardens and gate temples. The old captains of the sea came often to my grandfather and told him these things, which in turn he told my father, and my father told me in the long autumn evenings when the wind howled eerily from the east. And I've read more of these things and of many things beside in the books men gave me when I was young and filled with wonder. But more wonderful than the lore of old men and the lore of books is the secret lore of ocean, blue, green, gray, white, or black, smooth, ruffled, or mountainous. That ocean is not silent. All my days have I watched it and listened to it, and I know it well. well that's the quote. Um, so back to what I said here. As much as Lovecraft feared the sea, he knew very well that the sea was not silent. The legacy of incalculable crimes touch every part of the Atlantic, but the sea is also a source of creativity and envisioning alternatives. Quote, and these glimpses have been as often of the ways that were and the ways that might be of the ways that are. The ocean is more ancient than the mountains and, um, and um, frightened with the memories and the dreams of time. Another quote from the story. Uh, so in the story, the lonely lighthouse attendant dreams of joining a bearded man on the white ship. The narrator is taken to a series of metaphorical islands similar to Herman Melville's Marty. First, they visit the land of Tsar, a place of artistic creativity and a utopia for poets. But this place is cursed because no truly creative person can be appreciated in their lifetime. Next, they arrive at Thlarion, the city of a thousand wonders, a Promethean technological paradise. However, this city seems to drive everyone who enters it insane as they come to understand the scale of the technocratic civilization and its rulers. Next, the white ship takes the pair to Zura, the land of pleasures unattained, which, although titillating, is surrounded with the smell of death and plague. Then they travel to the pastoral paradise, the land of Sona Nil. The narrator stays there for a month, but eventually goes restless and is driven by curiosity to explore and become the first to witness, I guess the first man, I should have said, but the first to witness the land of Cathuria. It is rumored to be a land of hope, 
where the gods dwell. As they attempt to sail the white ship to that land, they fall off the edge of the world and the dream ends. One message of the white ship is that the sea is an elusive source of paradise. Atlantic history is full of such imaginings. The radical alternatives of pirates, Anglo-American solidarity that won the world wars, and the challenge of, to racism offered by the idea of the black Atlantic. For some, of the Atlant for some, the Atlantic is a perfect model of the empire. For others, it helps sustain the legacy of the commons, equality, interracial cooperation, and an anti-capitalist discourse. And yet, for others, the Atlantic is a model of an efficient Promethean capitalism. The reason the sea can hold so many competing and contradictory utopian visions is that the sea is basically unconquered. Even a century after Lovecraft's first stories appeared in print, the sea is still unknowable and a space for dreams and nightmares. All right, and then, and then I conclude a little bit with the, the article itself. So you can find this article and, and read it yourself and let me know what you think. But um, I'm not going to say too much that I don't say there. I think my ideas about this story haven't changed that much. All right, so but just, I'll just highlight a few things here. Um, so this guy, Basil Elton is his name. He has been the keeper of this lighthouse for generations, right? So, um, and then we get this idea that I talked about when I quoted that article is one is like this declining commerce. This is a place in decline. He says like in my grandfather's day, there were many ships, in my father's day fewer, and now there's almost none. So it's, a, it's like Innsmouth, actually. Innsmouth, as we'll see when we get to that story much, much, much later, is also a story of declining, uh, a, a declining economy. A once great and prosperous commercial city that's kind of been left behind and in, 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 in abandoned. Um, and then they get these tales of the sea. I quoted that, that passage. And this lore, secret lore of the ocean and the suggestion that the sea itself speaks right that it's somehow kind of beyond time right so um then he has his dream so if you want to think of this as a dream one story he at some point you know he's sitting there looking out at the sea imagining the sea looking at the moon probably too and the stars i think he actually does clearly look at the moon here and eventually he falls into the dreamlands and he experiences it through this white ship crewed by this man bearded and robed and he says come on like let's go on this adventure let's explore and then he goes to the sea he the the imagery is here quite nice he, he says he wrote i walked over, out over the waters to the white ship on a bridge of moonbeams the man who had beckoned now spoke a welcome to me in a soft language i seemed to know it well and ours were filled with soft songs of the oarsmen as we glided away into the mysterious south golden with the glow of the full mellow moon so it's got he's got oarsmen here so it's, it's a galley this type of ship's not described it's called the white ship we don't get any real description of it uh, it seems to have a crew though but we don't see much of the crew but you know that's not typical kind of lovecraft forgetting the working class i mean the character here is sort of working class he's of a generation of, of lighthousemen um and then they go on their adventure to those four places I, I mentioned when I quoted the article. All right, so the first of these is the land of Tsar, uh, the domain of dreams. It's the domain of poets. Um, quote, where dwell all the thoughts and the dreams and thoughts of beauty that come to men once they once and then they are forgotten. So the tragedy of, of the land of, of dreams, the domain of dreams, is that you can never really you'll never be known in your lifetime. So what Lovecraft writes here, there were 
There too were forms and fancies more, more splendid than any I'd ever known. The visions of young poets who died in want before the world could learn of what they had seen and dreamed. Uh, you know, and that's to, to some degree is actually Lovecraft's story is his dreams largely are not known outside of a relatively small circle of readers of like weird tales when he died. It's only later that the cult of Lovecraft emerged. Um, so anyways, they go, can't go there. Uh, for it's told whoever's, but that's another aspect here. Whoever's there may never return to his native soil. Uh, kind of another suggestion of how once someone enters into this, uh, the career of the poet, if you will, they really can't go back to to their old life. It's kind of a one-way ticket. Um, there's some truth to that. So then they go to the the land of uh, Thalarian, the city of a thousand wonders. And this, as I mentioned before, is like the Promethean uh, paradise, right? It's, it's a fascinating yet repellent city, um, you know. But it's got its own problems. As, although it's a technologically advanced civilization, it seems to drive everyone mad. Um, quote, there and walk only demons and mad things that are no longer men, and the streets are white with the unburied bones of those who have looked upon this Edelon. So there, the, the point being, you know, technology is, is sort of a dead end for, for humanism, for humanity. So the dreamers, they get lost. Uh, it's a one-way trip to the, to the land of dreams to the, be the poet. And you won't be appreciated, so there's really no, that's that's kind of a dead end for you. Uh, Thalarian's a dead end because it completely is soulless. Uh, the next land they go to is Surah. Uh, this is the land of pleasure, so if you can't have dreams and you can't, and technology's limiting, well, you can go to the land of, of, of hedonistic pleasures. Um, but when they get there, it's not really described what the, clear problem here is but it's also a dead end because although it's it has those pleasures presumably uh it's plague infested and and full of the dead so something's wrong with that i guess lovecraft's also saying that that itself is not um not very uh healthy uh the last one they go to is after they leave shura then they go to sona nil which is the pastoral paradise um, now, in my article, I said he stays there a month, but he may have stayed there longer because time really has no meaning there. There's neither space nor time nor suffering nor death. And there I dwelt for many eons. I think I got a month from maybe the moon. Yeah, later on, it says I, it was against the full moon one night. Of, uh, I, I think. Yeah, I think I figured this out why it was a month at some point, but it doesn't really matter because it's there's no time here it's kind of an endless paradise green are the groves and pastures bright and fragrant are the flowers blue and musical the streams clear and cool the fountains and stately and gorgeous the temples castles and cities of sona nil of that land there is no bound for behind each vista of beauty rises another more beautiful over the countryside and amid the splendor of cities can move at will with the happy folk who are all gifted in a with unmarried grace and unalloyed happiness. For the eons that I dwelt there, I wandered blissfully through the gardens where quaint pagodas peep. I don't know. Okay. Then uh, he decides to go to Cathuria. Cathuria is the land where no man had seen beyond the pillars of the West. And it's the land of hope. So the final location they want to go after the land of fancy, which is Sona Nil, is Cathuria, the land of hope. 
and of course hope you can't get to it's it's you know and they they start to travel there though hoping they get there and then literally the ship falls off the edge of the sh of basically to the end of the sea and he wakes up right now what's the suggestion that there's something real going on here it's not just a dream well it's this bird throughout their adventures at the sea they follow a bird and a bird is meant i didn't talk about this but uh if i was reading through but it's there there's a bird throughout the whole story that they sort of follow kind of as a guide like like noah right and he finds the body of a bird after he wakes up now another thing that happened is the lighthouse failed while it was gone that's another sign that it wasn't just a dream is that the lighthouse uh, failed light so it's longer than just a night because i presume a lighthouse can stay lit long enough for a guy to sleep otherwise what's the point right um or maybe they sleep during the day whatever the lighthouse had failed um for the first time so he's a failure in this genealogy this legacy of his family but he looks around and he f uh, well here's what lovecraft writes uh, I went within the tower and I saw the wall, a calendar, which still remained as when I had left it as the hours at the hour I sailed away. With the dawn, I descended the tower and looked for wreckage upon the rocks. But what I found was only this, a strange dead bird whose hues was as the azure sky and a single shattered spar and the whiteness greater than that of the wave tips of the mountain snow. And then we're told that at, from that point on, the ocean stops giving its lessons to... To our, our our hero Basil Elton, he this the ocean stops talking to him, so the ocean becomes silent, and he never sees the white ship again. Um, anyways, that's the white ship. Um, it's it's kind of metaphorical. It's it's a nice dream one story. I like this story. I like it because it's about the sea. It's about a journey. Um, it's it speaks to some of Lovecraft's themes. I I, I still hold with how I approached it in the article that even though it's an earlier piece. It does sort of, after you read a lot of Lovecraft and you go back to this, you start to see these motifs in this, in the story, especially in the way the sea is talked about. Because, you know, I would almost say at this point, I'm going to come out and say it now. Lovecraft, yes, he's a New England writer, but even more important, I think he should, we need to look, consider him a, a writer of the sea, a writer of the oceans, um, you know, because that's where so many of his tales take place. And even the tales that don't take place are connected in very complex ways with the sea, whether it's the case of Charles Dexter Ward or Innsmouth or the festival or obviously the Call of Cthulhu, obviously the story we just looked at, uh, Juan Romero, the sea. I mean, on and on, right? The sea is a conveyance. It's where people come from. And this you can't avoid if you're an American thinking about your own identity in an era of immigration, uh, built on a, a nation built on a legacy of slavery, you can't like even conceive of your own history without the sea. You might say, "Oh, we're a frontier nation," or "We're a Puritan," where our roots are Puritan, or whatever. And, and you can extend that argument as much as you want. But at the end of the day, you're going to be drawn to the sea, and Lovecraft is all the time. And so, yeah, I'm coming out and saying that Lovecraft is not really. In, a New England writer, as much as he said, I am Providence and all that stuff. Uh, that's all true. But he's of the, he, he's got this, such an intimate connection to the sea that's, that's more important than the New England settings of the stories.
Anyways, that's my risky claim for the day. Um, that uh, And that'll be it for now. Uh, so let me know what you think of The White Ship, if you've read it. I certainly enjoy this story, uh, so hopefully you do too. It only takes a few minutes to read. Um, next time, next time, we'll look at the doom that came to Sarnath. Um, is it the Dream One story? It's not really a Dream One story because no one's dreaming. Um, but it kind of is set. It's like this Dunsany style story uh, set in, a, in, a, in an ancient world. It's kind of in the Dreamlands kind of universe, I think. But there's no dreamer, unlike Polaris and the White Ship. So anyways, we'll talk, we'll, we'll talk about the doom that came to Sarnath next time. All right. Um, so I'll see you then. Let me know what you think, though. Send me your comments. Um, send me a review on iTunes. See you next time.